far as I'm concerned, you men can sing that song as often as you want. I love that song. Well done. All right, if you would open your Bibles again with me to Philippians chapter 3. For lack of a better title, I titled the message this morning, False and True Worship. And Lord willing, I want us to see some marks of false worship. And I want us to see the characteristics of true worship. And I want to be very careful how we look at these things and our attitude in these things. I don't want us just, just to see the error in the false religion that's all around us so that we look down our noses at them and feel very superior to them in our knowledge and different things. I want us to see these marks of both true worship and false worship so that we know are we worshiping God or not? I want to know, am I a true worshiper of God? I want you to know, are, are you a true worshiper of God? If we're just playing games here, I want to know it. So we can do, switch and start worshiping God. You know, I know that there are many false prophets going out into the world. But you know, false prophets also creep into the church on earth. And maybe they're not preachers, often that they are, but you know, they don't have to be a preacher up here behind this podium. They could be somebody out in the pew who influences people, who's trying to influence people and get them to look away from Christ, to get them to look to Christ plus something else. And I tell you that they can be very difficult to spot because they're disguised. They're not just doing this, you know, openly. They're wolves. Dressed in sheep's clothing. They're, they're trying to fool people. You know, they, they pretend to be this sticky, sweet friends, you know. But really, they're enemies of the cross who love self. They don't love you or God. They're, they're, this is a, a thing of, of self that they love, what they're trying to promote. They pretend to be the servants of God. They, they use, you know, words from the Bible like we do. But really, they're servants of Satan. I mean, not, this is the, the method of Satan. Be sly, be tricky, be careful how you word things to get people to look away from Christ. Now, don't just tell them, oh, look away from Christ. It's more subtle than that. They're, they're tricky. They pretend to preach righteousness. And they do it by being all moral and all upright. But really, all that is is preaching the law, preaching works. See, these men and women, they're not openly denying Christ, you wouldn't fall for that, would you? But they're adding something. They're adding some behavior. They're trying to get you to conform. They say, well, you know, you can't do that because a believer never do that. And you have to do this because all believers do that, you know. When somebody says that, you mark my words. What that is, it's a mixture of grace and works. That's exactly what it is. And if you think about it, Mixing grace and works. Now you know this. Mixing grace and works totally denies the person and work of Christ, doesn't it? Salvation, Paul told us in the book of Romans, it's either all works or all grace. One or the other. They can't be mixed. But when somebody mixes grace and works, you know the other thing they, that they're doing? They're, they're denying the whole word of God. They're denying our spiritual deadness in Adam. If you can do something, a good work to please God, to, to make yourself more saved, or, you know, whatever. That's denying your spiritual deadness in Adam. 
It's denying. You just go back to Genesis chapter 3. You deny the whole thing. Well, then you're denying everything after it too. Salvation is not a mixture of grace and works. It's by grace alone. And these people that try to pull you away, they're going to be subtle. And apparently, men like that have started to creep around this, the church at Philippi. And Paul's writing to warn the church about them and to warn us about them. And I don't want to just be warning us about them. I'm going to take this warning to ourselves. So that we guard against this turning our religion into just an outward show, an outward form of outward outward religion, outward ceremonies, that our religion becomes all outward so people see how religious we are and we lost the heart of it. God's worship from the heart, from the heart. God looks on the heart. And if our religion becomes all outward, I'm telling you, we miss Christ. And our souls are in great peril. So verse 1, Paul says, Chapter 3, Philippians. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it's safe. Now Paul says, it's not grievous for me to say the same things over and over to you again, just over and over and over. God's servants repeat themselves a whole lot. A whole lot. When I first became pastor, one thing Don Fortner told me, he said, you know, you... You're going to have to work at this, at keeping fresh. You can't just say the, the exact same phrases, you know, over and over and over again. You've got to find a way, you know, to, to keep this thing fresh. But we just repeat ourselves a whole lot. And you know why that is? Because there's just one gospel. There's just one gospel message. We're preaching the same message every service from a different text. And I had uh, prepared these notes before I went to the conference in Lexington, but this just stood out to me, how we were just, we repeat ourselves. The conference opened up where Gabe Stoniker preached, and Chris Cunningham got right up behind him, and Chris said, well, Gabe stole one of my points. Gabe stole one of my points, too. And then uh, the next day, uh, Brother Marvin Stoniker and, and David Edmondson preached, and they said a lot of the same things. Well, Gabe already stole one of my points, and I got up and preached, well, I stole one of Greg Elmquist's points coming up behind me. You know, we had we had the same points from different passages of Scripture. We're saying the same things because there's just one Savior. There's just one message that declares them. And I tell you, I loved hearing the same things over and over again. I loved it that first night when Gabe and Chris said the same thing. Just one of them. Brother Henry told me one time he would uh, have the men, you know, come up and, and read the scripture and lead in prayer. And he told me, he said, now, if you ever want to make, you know, comments on one of these passages, just, just go ahead and make some comments. I said, Henry, I'm not going to make a comment on something you're getting ready to preach on. He said, well, that's all right. He said, you say it and I'll just come behind you and amen it. That's what those men were doing. One of them said it and Chris came behind him and amen it. I loved it. It's just a confirmation, you know, of our faith. And that repetition of the gospel is good for us. It really is. It's good for us. It's the way we learn. I know that's the way I learn best, by repetition, just going over and over and over. That's the way I learn. And the repetition of the gospel is a safeguard for our souls. It's a safeguard to keep us looking to Christ alone. It's sad, but in this flesh, 
What are we doing? Constantly straining, aren't we? Constantly straining. And we need to be constantly told, look to Christ. Here He is. Look to Him. Here He is. We need to be constantly reminded of that. And a believer loves it, don't we? We need to be constantly reminded, oh, straight, stay on the straight and narrow path. This thing of salvation, this thing of religion, this thing of worship, it's Christ alone. Don't be bringing nothing else with you. It's Christ alone. It's good to, to be reminded of that. Doesn't it help your heart? What You have heard the gospel a long, long time, many times. What thrills your heart the most? It's that simple message being pointed to Christ again. And you say, there he is. Oh. It's safe for us to hear these things over and over and over again. So first, now Paul says, it, it, it's, it's not grievous for me to remind you of this and warn you of this again. That false religion not only is all around us, false religion is in the heart of this flesh. We carry it with us everywhere we go. So first I want to see some marks of false religion so that we can avoid these things, be warned about them. Number one, false prophets are dogs. Verse two, Paul says, beware of dogs. Now, Paul calls these false prophets and influencers, you know, in the pew or talking to you after and trying to, you know, get you to, to trust something that you do plus Christ. They're dogs. Paul calls them dogs. Now, maybe that's not as much of a derogatory term in our day. In Paul's day, this is a derogatory term, calling them a dog. But, you know, that's the way Scripture describes them. Let me read you a few passages. Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. The Savior said dogs have done that. Proverbs 26, verse 11, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Isaiah 56, verse 10, His watchmen are blind. These are false prophets. They're all ignorant. They're all dumb dogs. He doesn't mean that they don't know anything and that they're unintelligent. They cannot bark. They don't have anything to say. They're sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber, Yea, they're greedy dogs, which can never have enough. They're shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. Now that's a dog. And this is uh, pretty graphic and pretty uh, disgusting. But the word dog in all those verses, and the word dog normally translated in the Old Testament, means a male prostitute. They're selling their message to the highest bidder. They tell people what they want to hear. They try to find out what is it that people want to hear and then tell them about it. I read an article about a, 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 I'll tell you, a Pollard Baptist church. They finally closed the doors. They were just down to two or three members and they had to, they sell the building, close the church. And a guy was writing an article about this and he said, here's the reason that they closed. They lost contact with what the people in their surrounding community wanted to hear. We're not here to tell people what they want to hear. We're here to tell the truth. If you believe Christ, it'll thrill your soul. 
how horrible would it be for somebody to go to hell because we didn't tell them the truth? How horrible would it be Eric, to have the opportunity to stand here and preach and tell folks about Christ and not tell them the truth. To not to lie on God. That's, that, that, that's what scares us about coming up here. To, I'm afraid of what I'm going to say. Bob Coffey said, I'm, the, the, the fear in this is this. The new man's afraid what the old man's going to say. <laughs> it's, it's in us, isn't it? See, these dogs, they're, and they're just... They're selling their message to the highest bidder. And when they do that, they're selling their own soul. They should be called a derogatory term, shouldn't they? See, these dogs, they're not sweet family pets that we love. Last weekend, I stayed with a couple. They got this ginormous dog. He's still a puppy, really, but he's enormous. And, buddy, he and me were just best friends. He'd just come up and want, he, he thinks he's a little dog. He wants to sit on your lap, and we're just loving on each other, you know. And they're always telling him, you know, Louie, get off him. I said, no, don't. You know, we're just like, this, that's not what this dog that we love, you know. That, it, it, we're not talking about a family pet. We're talking about a mad dog who will bite and devour and tear people down rather than build them up in Christ. These are dogs who return to their own works and try to get you to do the same thing. And I tell you what, that's just as gross as a dog eating its own vomit. You ever seen a dog do that? First time my wife, Jan, saw one of our dogs do that. She was so grossed out, you know. I said, oh, this is what dogs do, you know. That's so gross. It's more gross than that, more disgusting than that that we would ever turn away from the free grace of God Almighty and go back to our own works. It's more gross than eating your own vomit. <laughs> They're greedy dogs. They're trying to get from you rather than give to you. They build you up in Christ and give to you the, the word of God and to lead you to the green pastures of God's word and let you graze there. Oh, there's plenty. Let, let's go into God's word. There's plenty of green grass for all the God's sheep to eat. Let's just go graze. Instead of doing that, they're, they're interested in building a big ministry for themselves, a, a big name and a big following for themselves, rather than simply feeding the sheep that God has given them, no matter how many that they are. You know, I told you to open the service. I was, I was, I'm just excited to be here this morning, come back and, and, and preach to you all. I was talking to some of the men about that down there. And uh, Greg Amquist said, me too. He said, I just can't wait to get back home. I was, that's, there's just no place else I would rather preach. And it, it doesn't matter if there's, if there's just a handful or there's a great big bunch. It's the sheep that God's called together here. And, and, and instead of being happy, just being honored, what an honor God's given us to be able to feed his sheep. Trying to get more. Trying to get more, trying to build a, a big ministry. And I'm telling you, when you do that, all you're going to do is build a goat farm. I want to preach to God's sheep. Let's find God's sheep. In the New Testament, the word dog almost always translated means this. An impure man. An impure man. Now, the only way we can be pure is in Christ, isn't it? Christ alone. But these men, they're trying to add something to Christ. And it makes them impure. And we need to be reminded of this often. You know, people do things that, that we may not like. That we, 
false religion or all these other places, you know. Maybe somebody without meaning to offends me here. We need to be reminded that don't become a dog that bites and devours instead of build somebody up in Christ. You want to build somebody up in Christ? Forgive them for Christ's sake. Just overlook them. Just overlook that thing, you know, and look to Christ together. We need to be reminded of this so we don't become a greedy dog instead of a generous giver to generously help one another. We need to be reminded often so we don't become impure that our hope and our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone and we don't start going back eating our own vomit, our own works. All right, number two, those in false religion are evil workers. Paul said, you beware of dogs and beware of evil workers. Now look over Matthew chapter 7. I'm sure this is where Paul got it from. He got it directly from the Lord. Because the Lord called these people evil workers. This is what the Lord says in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 27. Well, look at verse verse 22, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now you'll notice the Lord didn't say that they, they did not preach in his name. He did not say you didn't cast out devils. He didn't say you didn't do many wonderful works. He said you did all those things and you're an evil worker. You did them and you're an evil worker because you're trusting in them. You're trusting in them to save you. You're trusting in them to add to your righteousness instead of trusting Christ alone. That's an evil worker. And an evil worker tries to put people under the burden of the law to get you to to act like them, to get you to, you know, they know you can't keep all the law, but let's pick out two or three of my favorite ones, you know, the ones that that I think I can keep the the best outwardly, and you all got to do it too. Putting that burden on people is an evil worker. Salvation is not us doing something for God with all of our religious activity. Salvation is, is God doing something for us and God doing something in us. Salvation is the work of God. It's the gift of God. And all you and me can do is receive it. Receive it as a free gift. And it is an evil work. The salvation is the work of God. It's an evil work to make salvation then dependent on the work of a man. If salvation is the work of Christ alone, nothing can be more evil than saying, really, it's a work of man. It's denying the sufficiency of Christ. It's denying the glory of Christ. It's denying the success of Christ. It's to say that Christ alone is not enough. It's an evil work for men to make even point oh 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 one percent of salvation something a man does. It's all Christ and all the glory and all the credit belongs to him. And to take any of it away from him is an evil work. And we need to be reminded of that. 
I hope you do good works. I hope you are active in, in looking for ways to help one another, looking for ways to, to help this ministry, looking for the ways to help promote the, the gospel of Christ here and in other places. I hope you do those things. We ought to, shouldn't we? But don't trust in them. Don't think that, that that makes you more saved than somebody else. If we start trusting in them, that's what makes them an evil work. And we need to be reminded every single time we come to service, trust Christ alone. It's Him alone. Then number three, people in false religion are what Paul calls the concision. He says, beware of the concision. Somebody I read said Paul made up a new word there. The word concision means to cut up and to, to mutilate. Mutilate. And what Paul's talking about there is circumcision under the Old Testament law. But just like the rest of the Old Testament law, circumcision never saved anybody. Never once. All circumcision was was an outward token of God's covenant with Abraham. It was a token in the flesh of God's covenant with Abraham. It's just an outward physical picture of the new birth. That's all it is. Just, just like the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. That never saved anybody, did it? The sacrifice of the Passover lamb is just a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. That's how God put away the sin of his people and allowed him to pass over us. It's the blood of Christ. The Passover lamb pictured that. Physical circumcision is just a picture of the new birth. And I'll show you that here in a minute. But now when Christ came, he suffered and died, raised again, ascended back on high. The law was done away with. The law was finished. When the Savior said, it is finished, one of the things he meant was law. My people are finished with it because Christ fulfilled it. He fulfilled all of it for his people. And now we don't need all those types and pictures of the Old Testament law because we have the person. All those things pointed to Christ. We have the person. So we can put the pictures away, can't we? You know, being circumcised, and this is what people were doing. They were coming and saying, oh, yes, absolutely, yes, you're saved by grace. Absolutely. Oh, you're saved by, by the death of Christ, by his blood. That's what washed away your sin. But you still have to be circumcised to be part of the covenant. You still have to be circumcised, you know, to be saved. Being circumcised in order to be saved doesn't make a person righteous at all. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said it makes you a debtor to the whole law. If you're going to do this one thing to please God, now you're a debtor to the whole law. And when we do that, all that does is mutilate the body. And isn't that true of the whole law? When we try to keep the law to make God happy with us, to earn a righteous, we, we don't make ourselves righteous. We, we don't make God more happy with us. We don't make ourselves more acceptable. All we do is mutilate our souls by cutting our souls off from salvation in Christ alone. When we try to keep the law in order to, to earn a righteousness, we mutilate our souls but by cutting ourselves off from Christ our righteousness. And we need to be reminded of this often. So we don't ever forget this. Man, is, God is not worshipped with men's hands. He's not worshipped in physical things. That's what the Lord told the woman at the well there. Well, you know, yeah, she said, well, you, we think you ought to worship in this mountain. Y'all think you ought to worship in Jerusalem. And the Lord told her the place isn't the issue. The place is not the issue. God is spirit. He's worshipped in spirit. And don't think that this thing about God being worshipped in places and things with men's hands is done away with and all that applied to the Jews over there. 
It's alive and well. Man told me this recently. I was floored when I heard it. He told me, well, I chose this certain church to attend because of who the pastor was 20 years ago. Now, if you hadn't noticed, he's not there no more. All that is is worship in a place. That's all it is. And God's not going to bless that because God's worship from the heart. Not in form and ceremony. All right. Enough of that. It had to be covered, but enough of that. Now let me give you something to take home with you to make your heart happy. Here's the, the marks or the characteristics of true religion. And you'll notice each of these things, we can only have them if God puts them in it. We're completely dependent on Him. Number one is this. True religion is heart worship. Verse three. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. Now, when Paul says we're the circumcision, this is what he means. God's people, believers, they're the ones who've been born again. They've been born again with a new heart and a new nature. And we worship God from that heart. Now, let me show you that in Romans chapter 2. You know, every believer has experienced this inward work of grace in the heart. When we talk about a believer having a new heart, a new man, a new nature. And you got two natures in one body. Every believer automatically understands it. Because see, yeah, that's my experience. This flesh and the spirit, you know, fighting with each other. Every believer has experienced this inward work of grace. Sometimes, scripture refers to it as spiritual resurrection. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Paul called it a new creation. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation, brand new creature. And here Paul calls it in Romans chapter 2, the circumcision of the heart. Look at verse 28. For he's not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, a true Jew, part of spiritual Israel, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. The circumcision of the heart, it's the cutting away of the filth of the flesh. It's the cutting away of us trusting the vomit of our works and having Christ formed in the heart. That's why Paul said, I travail to Christ be formed in you. This inward work of, of grace. The circumcision of the heart is to have our heart broken before God and to be given a new heart, a heart of a soft heart, a warm heart that, that loves God and believes God. Your fleshly circumcision was just an outward token that a man's part of this uh, covenant, the nation, the nation of Israel. The circumcision of the heart, the new birth, that's a token too, but it's an inward token. It's an inward token that a person is a believer. It's an inward work only God can perform and only God can see it. It's in the heart, but that's where God looks. And I never thought about this before, but I read this this week. The circumcision of the flesh is permanent, isn't it? Once that's done, there's no going back. Well, the new birth is permanent too. <laughs> Once you've been born again, there's no going back to the law. The new man just won't do it. That new heart will always believe God. 
in every circumstance, in every situation, that heart will believe God and love God and trust God. And just like our brother Peter, we're going to fall from time to time in the flesh. We'll have weak faith, but that new heart God gives will never let us fall away. We'll stumble, but we won't fall away from God and return to the vomit of our own works. The new man can't stomach it. That new heart that God gives, it can and it does worship God publicly. It worships God privately. It'll worship God when you're on a mountaintop. And it'll worship God when you're in a valley. That new heart worships God because God Almighty speaks to that heart by the preaching of the word. He applies it to our hearts. Now that's a gift, isn't it? That God would give us a heart that would believe Him and love Him. That's true worship. Number two, true religion is worshiping God in the Spirit. Paul says, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. In the Spirit. True worship is not something that we do so other men see us and are impressed with you know, our worship. True worship is seeking to see God and to hear from God. Might God have a message for me this morning? True worship is seeking a message from God. True worship is not what I do or what I say. True worship is hearing God speak from his word. It's not even hearing what the preacher has to say about God's word. It's not seeing what the commentaries have to say about God's word. I don't know if this is a original with the Greg Elmquist or not. He and I were talking. He made this statement the other day. Boy, he got all these, he got all these uh, commentaries and they're awful wordy. And Greg said, but it, isn't the word of God a good commentary in those commentaries? <laughs> Explains a lot, doesn't it? True worship is just hearing what God says from his word. Plainly, simply, and unvarnished. True worship is it's in the heart. It, it's not so other people can see us. And it's not done with physical aids. You know, that's something that, that makes us feel more religious, you know. You know, we don't have crosses. We don't have stained glass windows, you know, with the... Uh, and a lot of times those stained glass windows, you know, they have, oh, that's, that's Peter and that's Paul. And that's, you know, I guess that makes the flesh feel, you know, more pious or more religious or something. You know, it makes us feel, you know, Peter's up here in this stained glass window looking down at me, you know, better sit still. Um, that's not true worship. All that does make the flesh feel good. True religion is not smoke and mirrors. It's not psychological tricks. It's not getting you know the mind in this certain kind of haze. True religion is worshiping God in the heart when we hear His word. You all we need to worship God is His word. We can meet in a barn. We can meet in a field. We have a, have a, you know, this building burnt down. Tell you what we'll do. We'll have a big old tent meeting. We'll get a big tent. We'll have a tent meeting. That's what, we don't need a, a building or, you know, a, a bunch of hubbub going around. We just need the word of God. That's all we need. True worship. It's not having, you know, the right order of, of service to make me feel good about what I'm doing. 
Judas had that, didn't he? Judas had that. And he denied the Lord. True worship. This thing, it's in the heart. It's in the attitude. It's submitting. It's submitting to God and bowing at His feet. And whatever He does is right. Whatever He does is right. True worship is not a head knowledge of the truth. No. Brother Henry, you say it's going to go through the head to the heart. You know, I know you've got to understand what I'm saying before you can believe it. But, but salvation and true worship is not a head knowledge of the truth. It's not only a head knowledge. Demas had that, didn't he? He forsook it. True worship is not in what I do or what I don't do. The Pharisees had that. And they perished in their, in their self-righteousness. True worship, I'm telling you, it's an attitude. It's a submission of heart to trust Christ. It's a submission. I submit. I submit to the righteousness of God. I give up trusting in anything that I've ever done. I submit. I trust Christ as my righteousness. It's a submission of the heart to trust the Lord to save me without me helping him at all. Now that's a blessing God gives his people heart of worship that bows and submits to him I'm telling you we're not going to worship until we bow (laughs) one of the best definitions you'll find of worship is in that leper that came to our Lord and he bowed and he the scripture says he worshipped and said Lord if you will you can make me clean he didn't worship because the Lord healed him he worshipped whether the Lord was going to heal him or not Worship is bowing before the Lord knowing I'm in his hands and he'll do with me what he pleases. And we're not going to worship until we bow that way. Number three, true religion is rejoicing in Christ Jesus. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now the word in verse one, rejoice, finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord. That word means to be happy in, to be glad in, to be glad about. The word rejoice in Christ Jesus in in verse 3, that's a different word. And that word means to boast in. And true worship, true preaching, all it is is boasting in Christ the Savior. That really is all it is, is boasting about who he is and what he's accomplished for his people. Brother Rex Bartley in Danville, he uh, provide, presides over the service and he announces the, the preacher. And right before you get up to preach, he'll say, Eric, come up here and brag on the Savior. Frank, come here. Jonathan, come up here and brag on the Savior. That's what he says. In That's what Paul's saying right here. Just brag on the Savior. Just brag on him. Don't we brag on the Savior? Don't we boast? I boast in this. The Son of God became flesh. I can't explain that. How did the Son of God become a man? He's still God and he's still man. By boasting that. He did that to redeem his people so he could be our representative. I boasted. Someone as glorious as the Son of God would humiliate himself to appear in our flesh to be our representative. Don't you boast in somebody to do something like that? We boast that the Lord Jesus Christ is our righteousness. 
Jehovah Sidkenu. He's the Lord, our righteousness. I didn't earn my righteousness by, by my obedience. My righteousness is the Lord Jesus Christ. I boast in that. If Christ is my righteousness, I can never perish. I love to boast about it. Christ is my righteousness. It's perfect. We boast, don't we, in the cross of Christ, in what he accomplished on the cross. By his death, Christ cleansed all of his people from all of their sin by one sacrifice, by his precious blood. He can do that because of whose blood it is. It's the blood of God. I love to boast on that. That's my hope. That's my hope my sin has been put away. There's no way that anyone for whom Christ died can perish because of the power of his blood. I love to boast in the power of his blood. That gives my, my heart confidence. We rejoice. We've been made children of God. Joint heirs with Christ. Now, joint heirs with Christ. Being an heir of everything that the Father is going to give the Son, which is everything. Now, there's only one possible explanation that any of us could be a joint heir with Christ. It's grace. <laughs> Christ earned it, not me. I love to boast about that. I love to boast about this. Somebody as wonderful as the Son of God would do something that defies human understanding to sacrifice himself, to save somebody as low down and wretched as me. I love to boast on it. Doesn't that give you hope and salvation? I love to boast about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's the successful Savior. In Him, our sin's forgiven. In Him, we're pardoned. In Him, we're made righteous and holy. We have peace with God. You don't have to be afraid of God. You have peace with God in Christ. We have access to the Father. We can bow in prayer. And have our prayer heard. Because Christ is our mediator. See true, true worship. Is boasting in Christ. But I can just rest in him. Because he's done everything it took. To save my sorry soul. And only true worship. The only way your heart could really be made happy. And glad. Like the word rejoice in verse 1 is. The only way that can happen. It's if we boast in Christ and who he is, what he's done. Doesn't that make us say, preacher, tell me one more time. Tell me who he is. Tell me what he did. Why did he do it? Tell me. Tell me where is he now. That's boasting in Christ. What a blessing. God's given us a place we can hear men boast on Christ, brag on him. And then last, true worship is having no confidence in the flesh. We rejoice in Christ Jesus, our confidence in him, so it stands to reason, doesn't it? We have no confidence in the flesh. Now as obvious as that is, our flesh is dead, it's sinful, we know we shouldn't put any, any hope in it, don't we? But as obvious as that is, we have to constantly be reminded and hear the same thing over and over and over again. Don't put any confidence in your flesh now. Yours or anybody else's. We have to hear that over and over and over again because this flesh is not listening to the gospel. It's not listening. It doesn't believe it. It's not going to, it, it never will. So the flesh is trying to constantly drag us back into captivity to the law and trust the works of the flesh. 
And that's self-righteousness. And nobody can worship God in self-righteousness. The only way we can worship God is trusting Christ. Him alone without anything we add to Him. And what we need to hear this over and over and over again. Aren't you thankful to hear? Believer, God's not going to accept you in your flesh. And we come in here just dragging in things. I can't believe. I, I can't believe who I am. I can't believe what I've done. I do. I love Christ. I love the gospel. And look at me. Just look at me. Just getting ready and driving here this morning. Just, uh, and doesn't it just lift you up? Here, God, God doesn't accept you in that. Don't, don't trust your flesh. He accepts you in Christ. You can trust Him. So you're accepted. Your worship is accepted. Your person is accepted. <laughs> Oh, my acceptance with God, my worship with God, all depends upon who the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. I tell you, I can worship and leave here rejoicing. Rejoicing, bragging in Christ Jesus and leave here glad, made happy in who he is. Oh, I hope God will give us that heart, that attitude and that spirit. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you you've given such a glorious message to your people to hear, to believe. Christ, the successful, sovereign Savior of sinners. He's done everything necessary to save his people from their sin, and they're saved. Now, Father, I pray, I beg of you, that you give each heart here this morning faith, to believe in Christ, to look to him, to rest in him, that you take the word as it's been preached and apply it to each heart here, that we might leave here boasting in Christ our Savior. It's in his precious name. For his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.